Amen. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me this morning to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. My, uh, my cold has gotten better. My throat is doing better. But talking is going to, again, stress it. So I'm going to just prepare you up front. As the sermon goes on, the voice will get worse and worse. And then I'll have another week to rest it. So... Take your Bibles again, open to Daniel chapter 10, and as you open to Daniel chapter 10, put one finger there, and then I also want you to get in your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be sort of bouncing back and forth a little bit this morning. And so again, I want you to be in Ephesians chapter 6 and in Daniel chapter 10, although we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Daniel chapter 10 this morning. So in Daniel chapter 10, what we have is God pulling back the curtain on spiritual warfare. And so that's what we're about to partake in this morning is God sort of pulling back the curtain, if you will, and allowing Daniel to get a glimpse into what is going on going on when it comes to spiritual warfare. Now, before we even get into the text this morning, let me just kind of say a couple of things as we start. First of all, the realities of spiritual warfare is more than we can fully comprehend in our finite minds. When we begin to think through what Scripture reveals to us concerning spiritual warfare, it is almost unimaginable, right? It's very confusing. It's something we have a hard time wrapping our minds around and honestly what we normally do is we sort of take in the information we take in the knowledge and then we do our best to sort of forget it so that we can live our lives without being freaked out about what's going on around us that we cannot see right it's it's scary it's intimidating it's hard to fully comprehend and it's hard for us to fully imagine well the reason is because we can't see what is happening around us But scripture makes it clear in several places that there is a spiritual reality that has a direct impact and effect on our world today, even though we cannot see what's happening. And there are a few places in scripture, Daniel chapter 10 being one, where God sort of pulls the curtain back just a little bit to give us a glimpse of what's going on in the heavenly places. Now, for instance, one of my favorite passages is when Jesus is for told by the angel to the shepherds out keeping watch over their flock by night and as soon as the angel finished telling the shepherds exactly where this child is to be born to them what happens they are joined by a host of angels that are singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill among men and it's as if all of a sudden the shepherds get a glimpse of what's always there of what's always going on and such good news was more than heaven could contain in that moment so God just said a, kind of tells the shepherds here I want to give you a glimpse of what's happening in heaven real quick pops the curtain back lets them see all the worship and the praise that's going on and then he closes closes the curtain again so they cannot see. Well, that's kind of what happens in Daniel chapter 10. Now, we know that spiritual warfare and that spiritual things are happening because we are told that directly by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, this is why this is so helpful, 
right? We get glimpses in Daniel. We get glimpses in the Gospels when it comes to the announcements of Christ's birth. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we have the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, telling us exactly what is happening and exactly what we are supposed to do in response to what's happening. So we're going to use Ephesians chapter 6 to guide us in our discussion of Daniel chapter 10. So in order for us to do that, let's look first at Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. I'm not going to preach two sermons to you, I promise, but I want to read through this text so that if you're not aware, you can be made aware that, wow, these things are true and these things are happening. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul says, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then listen carefully to verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplications for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I want you to just kind of notice quickly three realities that we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. The first thing that you notice is that spiritual warfare is a real thing that is happening, right? Paul makes it clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces that you can't see that are all around you. In response to that, Paul tells us the second two things. He says, first of all, put on the whole armor of God. Now, we're not going to go through it piece by piece, but just know in Ephesians 6, Paul says that in response to spiritual warfare, you are to be prepared for battle by putting on the entire armor of God. And then he says, because we're involved in such spiritual warfare, he says that you are to engage that spiritual warfare, having put on the armor of God through prayer. Notice he says, praying Always make prayers and supplications. Specifically notice what he says. Prayers and supplications for the furtherance of the gospel. Right? He says pray. Pray for saints. Pray. Make supplications. But Paul says also don't forget to pray for me and others like me who are making the truth of the gospel known. Amen? 
Why? Because there's a spiritual reality that exists around us. And Paul says that in response to that, we need to pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take what we know to be true in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to sort of lay that on top of Daniel chapter 10. So that the implications that we draw from Daniel chapter 10, we know that they're true because we see them supported by what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. That's the safest way to handle Daniel chapter 10 so that we don't come away trying to draw a conclusion that's not supported by the truth of the New Testament. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And this morning, in the text of Daniel 10, we're going to see four realities concerning spiritual warfare as the curtain is kind of pulled back for us. So now, jump with me back to Daniel chapter 10. What we're going to do is we're going to read verses 1 through 9. We're going to pray And then we're going to make our way through the entirety of Daniel chapter 10 this morning. So Daniel chapter 10, starting now in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Now, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like Burel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his voice like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves." So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what is an amazing text in Daniel chapter 10. Lord, we we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding that we might be able to understand the truth and the realities revealed in this text. Lord, that we would draw out the right implications. Lord, that we might do so for your glory and for your honor. Lord, that as a result, we would understand better how we're to respond to the spiritual warfare that is going on around us. Lord, give us wisdom and insight, we pray. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text again, we're going to see four realities concerning spiritual warfare as the curtain is pulled back. Reality number one, we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. Let me say that again. We engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. Now, in verse one, Daniel gives us another helpful marker of time, placing this event in the third year of Cyrus's reign in Persia. That makes this 536 BC, about two years after the vision of chapter nine, all while Daniel is around 85 years old at this point. Notice Daniel reminds us that he is also known as Belteshazzar, helping us to remember that he has now been in captivity for around 70 years. 
years of his life. And so Daniel is reminding us of these things. And then we are told in verse 1 that at this time a word was revealed to him. And notice that this world, I mean, excuse me, this word was in regard to a great conflict. Now he understood the word and he had understanding of the vision. So here's what Daniel tells us. That about when I was 85 years old, a word was revealed to me. And it was a great vision, and it concerned a great conflict. And Daniel says, I knew that the word that I received was true, and I also was given complete understanding of the vision. Now, what's interesting is that this vision is going to be spelled out for us over the course of the next three chapters. And so we're not going to understand the vision at the end of chapter 10. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to get into the vision until we get to chapter 11. And we're going to take some time to make our way through chapters 11 and 12 so that we can ultimately understand the vision that he was given. But before we get to what he was actually told, Daniel in chapter 10 kind of gives us the details of how the vision came to Daniel. And so what we are told is that this vision concerns a great conflict. Now the great conflict, as we're going to see, is a spiritual war that is going on that Daniel is able to see as God pulls back the curtain a little to give Daniel insight into what is going on for Daniel and what is going on spiritually around him. Now the question is, why does God give Daniel this glimpse? Well, we're told in verse 11 and then again in verse 19 is we're going to see that Daniel is greatly loved by God. However, I think that regardless of the fact that Daniel was greatly loved by God, I think the main reason that God is able to reveal this reality to Daniel is because Daniel was involved in the battle, whether he knew it or not, because Daniel had been praying for three weeks. Now, notice this in the text. Daniel explains in verse 2 that he was mourning for three weeks. Now, we're not told exactly why he was mourning, but given the context and the timing of this vision, it is quite possible and concerned, given the, what we know he's praying about as we continue on in the text, it's possible and probable that Daniel is mourning the condition of Israel at this time. You see, Cyrus had issued a decree that allowed Israel to go back to Jerusalem and start the rebuilding process. The problem is that as soon as Israel made their way back, not all of them went back. Only a small number went back. And when they got back, they were immediately met with opposition. And so his word continues to come in to Daniel and others. What they are finding out is that things are not good in Jerusalem. Things are still not going forward. As a matter of fact... A few years later, Nehemiah is going to get the same word. He's also going to enter in a time of great mourning because the temple and the walls are still down. Jerusalem is still in shambles. We're told that this happened 24 days into the first month, which means that this happened about the time of Passover. And so most likely, Passover brings Daniel into a time of great reflection concerning what Israel cannot do because the temple is still in shatters, and therefore he enters into this time of mourning for three weeks. But notice he doesn't just mourn for three weeks. It also says in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 3, that he was fasting. Now, he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth, nor did he anoint himself at all for three full weeks. By the way, kids, that does not mean he didn't take a bath for three weeks. I just want to make sure that's clear. All right? What it means is that he got rid of all comfort that he could get rid of. 
He, he, he ate not good food. He ate vegetables. Notice I said those are not good. Amen? Right? So for three weeks, he gives up meat. He gives up wine. He lives on vegetables and water. Does that remind you of an earlier time in Daniel's life, by the way? Amen? Back in Daniel chapter 1. Just want to point that out. So for three weeks, he, he's, he's given up vegetables. He's given up all delicacies and the anointing himself with oil. He stopped putting lotion on even though he lived in an extremely dry climate that, went, that his skin would have consistently been irritated at that point. And so Daniel is mourning and he's also fasting. But Daniel doesn't just spend three weeks moping around. Scripture tells us that he's also in prayer. As a matter of fact, jump with me into verse 12. It says, Then he said to me, we'll get to the context in a minute, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. What does that mean? It means that for 21 days, Daniel has been praying. He's been fasting. He's been humbling himself before the Lord. He's been mourning the condition of Israel. And it is during that time of prayer that Daniel was engaging in spiritual warfare, whether he knew it or not. You see, Daniel may, not, may or may not have known what Scripture reveals to us in Ephesians chapter 6, that the way we engage in spiritual warfare is through prayer. Remember, what does Paul say? He said, spiritual war is raging around you. You don't see it, but that's what's happening. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces around you. So prepare yourself by putting on the full armor of God. And then what does Paul say to do next? You can answer. Pray. Right? What does he say? Ephesians 6, 18 and 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, prayer is not our last result when all else fails. Prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers and what we may not always be conscious of and aware of is that as we pray we are engaging in spiritual warfare we are offering aid and ministry to spiritual forces that are fighting on behalf of god and so when you pray know that as you pray you are engaging in spiritual warfare And that's why Daniel is able to get this glimpse of what's going on spiritually as the Lord sort of pulls the curtain back for him because Daniel may not have been aware, but Daniel was in the battle. And he had been fighting faithfully for 21 days on his knees as he was sending up prayers on behalf of Israel to God. And so we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. And then secondly... God and his revealed son are sovereign over all things. Now, this is the key component of the book of Daniel that I do not want us to forget as we talk about the reality of spiritual warfare. God is still sovereign over all things, and we have seen this time and time again in the book of Daniel. Amen? God has made it abundantly clear. One of the major themes of this book is that God is sovereign. And before we get into the realities of spiritual warfare that are going to kind of blow our minds. Just warning you, it's going to get weird, right? Before we get there, 
God wants Daniel to remember that he is sovereign over all things. So that no matter what Daniel sees or what's about to be revealed to Daniel, Daniel will know that his God has it all under control. Right? And the way God does it is God gives Daniel a glimpse of the son that is to come. Look with me now, starting in verse 4. Daniel says, On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. And I lifted up my eyes, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of multitude. So there Daniel is. He is standing on the bank of the Tigris River. And as he is looking over the Tigris, all of a sudden, the appearance of one like the Son of Man appears. And it sounds as if it appears sort of hovering over the river itself. Now notice the men that are with Daniel don't see the vision, we're told, but they feel the presence of of the Almighty, and they immediately run and hide themselves for fear. Notice the description of this man identified here in verses 5 and 6. First of all, we see that he is clothed in linen. The idea here is that he's clothed in white linen, symbolizing holiness and purity. He has a belt of fine gold from Euphaz, which was worn by kings, symbolizing royalty and authority. He had a body like Burel and a face like lightning. Now listen, Burel was a golden stone that glimmered in light. And taken with the face of lightning, it shows that this being radiated with glory and splendor. In other words, when Daniel beheld this man, this man was glowing. This man was bright in appearance. His eyes were like flaming torches so that nothing could stand before him. His arms and his legs gleamed like burnished bronze, meaning that they had the appearance of fire or burning metal. The sound of his voice was like the sound of a multitude. He spoke with authority and power. Now compare that to the vision we have of John or recorded by John of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice of that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. The similarities are clear. Daniel was seeing the Son of Man, the second person of the Trinity, the Word who had yet to take upon flesh, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. As Daniel looked over the river, he saw Jesus who was to come. Now remember... Jesus has yet to be born in a manger, right? He's yet to die on the cross. This is way before that. This is Jesus before he was known as Jesus. This is the Word who has yet to take upon flesh, who's yet to dwell among us, as we refer to him then as the pre-incarnate Christ. And as Daniel beholds this person, 
as he beholds Jesus who is to come, notice that Daniel says, all my strength left me. My face stopped glowing. It stopped having color, in other words. As my color left, my strength was gone. And Daniel stands trembling in a complete weakness before the presence of the Lord. What I find amazing is that although the others could not see it, they could feel the presence of the Almighty. And all that they knew was they needed to get away. Reminds you of the nation of Israel before the presence of God on Mount Sinai. When the presence of God is so real to them that all they know is that they don't want to be close to it because they're scared to death. They say, Moses, you go to spend time in the presence of the Lord. We're backing up. We don't need to be near that. Right? Those men have no clue what's happening, but they know that they need to leave. It's pretty powerful. Amen? And all of a sudden, God opens his mouth and words begin to come out. And at the sound of The first word, Daniel falls to the ground, passed out unconscious, face on the ground. That's when you know someone's out, right? They don't don't catch themselves. They don't land in a comfortable position. No, they land face on the ground and they're out cold. And here's what I have to ask you. Who can stand before our God? Who do we have to fear if that's our Lord and our Savior? What can man, what can demon, what can Satan do to us if that is our God? Let me give you a spoiler alert. That God wins in the end. Amen. And what God is doing for Daniel is God is letting him know you're about to get a little more than any human can understand. But before we get there, you need to know this. I am still sovereign over all things. I still am in control. I still am beyond all comprehension. None can stand before me. And to that I say, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you that that's my God. Amen. So that when God leads us, when God calls us, when God sends us, when God does things through us, we know that we serve that God. Amen? And what do we have to fear? What do we have to worry about? Because that is our God. So we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. God and his revealed son are sovereign over all things. And then thirdly, there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. Look with me now in verse 10. Now here's where it's going to get... A little little odd to you, if you've read ahead this week, you've seen this, and you may not have caught all that was going on, or you may have read it and thought, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's dive into verses 10 through 14, see if we can't figure out what's going on here. It says, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. 
Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to, excuse me, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Now in verse 10. God sends an angel to Daniel to awake him and to give him an answer to his prayers. Just imagine the scene as it unfolds. Daniel is out cold, face to the ground. This angel, sent by God in verse 10, comes to Daniel and sort of picks him up and gets Daniel to his hands and his knees as Daniel is still trembling before the presence of the Lord in complete shock from what he has just witnessed. And then the angel backs up and says to Daniel, Daniel, if you've got the strength, can you stand up on your feet so that I can tell you what God wants you to know? And so Daniel says that he musters up all the strength that he has left and he stands before this angel, still trembling, still unable to really move, barely able to hold himself up. Then it gets even more interesting. As soon as Daniel had begun praying, the angel says in verse 12, God sent out a word. So 21 days earlier, for three weeks straight, Daniel's been praying. The angel says, Daniel, I want you to know God heard you as soon as you started praying. And as soon as you started praying, God sent me to give you the answer. This is reminiscent to what we saw in chapter 9. As soon as Daniel prayed, God sent out the decree. And that makes us believe that this angel in verse 10, very likely and possibly the angel Gabriel again. And so we're going to talk as if it's Gabriel. Here Gabriel comes and Gabriel says, God sent me out immediately. However, notice what he says. He says, for 21 days, the prince, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings, notice plural, of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to you and your people in latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So what does all this mean then? Well, well, let's get into it by first of all understanding who Michael is and how he is identified in the text. So stay with me. All right, Michael, according to Jude 9, is the archangel, which means first or chief angel, who contended with the devil in the past. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 7, Michael is seen as in charge of other angels and he leads them into battle against Satan forces. So Michael is the chief angel and notice in this text he's identified again and again as a prince, meaning that the term prince in this text is speaking of angels in the good and demons or fallen angels in the bad. So that means... That the war that's raging in verse 13 is between Gabriel and the demon over Persia when Michael comes to offer aid in fighting against the kings, plural, of Persia, presumably other demons. So what does that mean? It means that what Daniel is being described, or what's being described to Daniel, 
is spiritual warfare that is happening that, notice, hindered God's answered prayer from getting to Daniel for 21 days. Why? Because the angel Gabriel was in a battle with the demon who was over Persia. And that battle was taking too long. And so Michael, who we know to be the archangel Michael, identified elsewhere in Scripture, we know who Michael is. He's identified here as the chief prince, which is what, what archangel means. Archangel, it means the chief or the first. The chief prince shows up to contend with the demon that's over Persia so that Gabriel can be on his way to finally get the word to Daniel. Now, that seems a little far-fetched. Seems kind of hard to imagine and fathom. Amen? You read that and you go, what? Right? If you're talking to a non-believer and you want to convince them concerning the truth of Scripture, you don't start there. Right? Because that seems a little crazy. And let's just be honest. It does seem a little crazy to us. Until... We remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. And what we need to understand is that it is real and it is happening all around us. We cannot see it, but notice in this text, it has a direct impact in our lives. Daniel's prayer was hindered from him understanding the answer for 21 days. Now, what does that mean? I don't know exactly. No one does. What we do know is that there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. Now, we want to be careful. We don't want to assume that everything that takes place on earth is a result of demons or devils or angels. We, we, don't, want to, we don't want to just throw all responsibility away that we have as humans, right? Like, like if I stump my toe, the devil didn't necessarily make me do it. That wasn't a demon that put the podium in the way. I probably ought to look at where I'm walking. Make sense? Right? If I fall into sin, the devil certainly could have been part of the temptation that was put before me. But I have a personal responsibility to to say no to sin, to flee from temptation. Amen? So we want to be careful, but we would be foolish to live as if there was not a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. Because Scripture makes it clear that there is. Alright? So, what do we see next? Well, we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. God and His revealed Son are sovereign over all things. We don't have anything to fear. There is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. And then fourthly and finally, spiritual forces are being used to accomplish God's salvation plan. Now, look with me now in verse 15. When he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord servant talk with me, my Lord, for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me? Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, excuse me, against these except Michael, your prince. Now, in verse 15, we see that Daniel is still completely exhausted from the experience. So just just quickly think through Daniel's posture, right? On the banks of the Tigris, flat on his face. Angel picks him up to his knees and his hands as he's there trembling before the presence of God. The angel encourages him to stand up. Daniel musters up the strength to stand up, trembling before the Lord. Daniel's then told of the spiritual realities that are going on around him. Daniel's strength once again leaves him. His face falls towards the earth, and he is speechless. He's mute. He is unable to speak, barely able to breathe. The angel touches him, tells Daniel, hey, wake up, listen up, let's talk. And Daniel responds to the angel, how am I supposed to talk or listen when I barely have the strength to breathe? Right? And then Gabriel touches him this time, strengthening him. Right? Gives him a little juice, if you will. Right? Strengthens him. And then Daniel says, you've strengthened me. But what does Gabriel say to Daniel? He says, fear not. Why? Because you are loved by God. Amen? Don't miss that. He gives him the same truth in verse 12. Don't miss that. It is a fearful thing to stand before the Almighty God. Amen? But for those whom God loves, we can still enter into His presence with boldness and not fear. Amen? What an incredible picture that is. Gabriel says to Daniel, Daniel, you... I know that was scary, but you don't have anything to fear. That God that you saw loves you. Amen? Isn't that amazing? The vision you saw, that God with the eyes of fire, that God loves you. So you have nothing to fear. Daniel is strengthened. And Daniel says to the angel, okay, you can give me the rest of the message. You can, you can continue to talk. So Gabriel asked Daniel, do you know why I have come? Now, notice what we, we see in the beginning of verse 18. And having the appearance of a man, he touched me and strengthened me. And, and then notice what it says in verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now we're going to dive in to all the details there. But I want you to notice what the angel says. He says, do you know why I've come? 
And then he says, I have come to reveal to you what has been written in the book of truth. And remember, that is something that is going to take place in the days to come. And so here's what Gabriel tells Daniel. I've come to give you God's answer. And God's answer has already been decreed in the book of truth, which means that what God has to say will come about because God said it. Amen? And he says, I'm going to let you know what that is in chapters 11 and 12. We're not going to get there this morning. I'm going to let you know what that is later. But I want you to know that I don't have a lot of time because I've got to go back to battle the prince of Persia. And then notice, after I'm done contending with the prince of Persia, then the prince of Greece is going to come and I'm going to have to battle him. And there's no one else in the battle except for me and Michael, who is identified as your prince, meaning Daniel or Israel's prince. Now, don't, don't miss it. There's no one else in the battle, not because everybody else was scared, but because Michael and Gabriel don't need any help. Amen? Listen, don't, don't for a minute, don't for a minute think that God has an adversary that is equal to him in Satan. Do not forget, Satan is not equal to God. Satan is much, much, much inferior to our God. Amen? Satan may have an equal, but his equal would be Michael. Right? Matter of fact, the prince identified as the prince of Persia, it may have been a demon. It may have literally been Satan himself. And if that's the case, don't worry. Michael's battled Satan already. Go back and read Jude 9. Right? Michael's been in that battle. He's not worried. Because Michael fights for who? He fights for God. Right? Michael's not worried of the battle that's going to come that he's going to be in in Revelations 12, 7. You know why? Because God's going to end it all with the words of his mouth. That's power, amen? And so Michael and Gabriel are the only ones in the battle because they're the only ones that are needed. Right? But what does this passage reveal to us about spiritual warfare, what can we sort of imply or apply? How can we take truth out of this text and sort of apply it into our lives? So notice what we see in this text as a whole. So what does this text teach us then concerning spiritual warfare? Let me give you four things. They're the same four points we've been going over, but let me give you four things. If you want to write these down or if you haven't already, write these down. And and what you're not going to see is like a game plan of how to engage and how to battle. That's not what this text is about. This text is just pulling back the curtain, helping us see what's going on kind of behind the scenes. So, So number one, What do we see in this text concerning spiritual warfare? Number one, we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. Daniel gets this glimpse because he has spent 21 days in prayer. Paul tells us that because spiritual war is going on around us, he says engage it through prayer. Amen? Now because we've read Ephesians 6, I would also want to remind you, put on the whole armor of God. Because you're not able to stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil in your flesh. Amen? You against Satan is a mismatch. Right? God against Satan is also a mismatch because God is going to win with the words of his mouth. Amen? But you and I, we need to be full armor 
And then we need to go to battle in prayer. Amen? And so we engage in spiritual warfare through fasting and prayer. Secondly, God and His revealed Son are sovereign over all things. In the end, we have nothing to fear. Amen? You you need to go in with the confidence of knowing that your God has already won. He's already defeated death and the grave, and soon Satan and all the demonic forces will be defeated once and for all at the second coming of Christ, which, by the way, that's where this vision is going in verses in chapters 11 and 12. Third, there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. All right, that's just a truth. It's a reality that we have to be aware of. We have to know that it's out there. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Know that that is true. What does that mean? That means that the argument that I have with Tad, right, it's not just about me and Tad. There's spiritual things going on there that we need to engage that battle, not by being mad at each other. We need to engage that battle by praying. Amen? I say that because I'm not mad at Tad right now. Give me a week. You know, right? Our, Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. We need to approach it as spiritual. So there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. And then fourthly, Spiritual forces are being used to accomplish God's salvation plan. Now notice, Persia, Greece, and Israel all seem to have their own personal spirits, demons, angels, who are watching over them, influencing them, etc. Now exactly what that means and entails, I do not know And truthfully, no one really knows. Right? But obviously, Persia, the major power of the world back then, had a demon that was over it. That was doing something. And then Alexander the Great's going to come in Greece. But it's not just Alexander the Great. According to this text, there is a prince of Greece that Gabriel and Michael are also going to have to be battling with. Right? So if there's a spiritual war raging around us, it would make sense that those demonic forces would be having an impact in the world and that the sin we see would be a part of that impact. Right? Right? I know. It's like, what? So, so what does that mean? All right? It means all of this is happening to bring about God's plan of salvation leading to the second coming of Christ, which is again where this text and vision is going. So let me ask you this. What did what a Persia and Greece and Israel all have in common? They were all impacting God's people, the nation of Israel. Obviously, Israel was God's people, right? But notice these battles... Persia, right? Greece, they're having a direct impact on the nation of Israel, right? Which is God's children. Just like today, spiritual war is likely having a direct impact on God's children, the New Testament church. Amen? So, I know your questions, so let me ask them. Does this mean that each country today is being influenced by demons? 
are the wars that we listen about even today the result of demonic influences? Well, this text causes us to think maybe, or maybe even probably, but we cannot know for sure. Amen? Like when I come away from this text, I think, sounds like that's a real possibility. But notice, that is not what is clearly revealed to us in the New Testament. Amen? And so so notice how we do this. We take the implications that we see in Daniel chapter 10, but we hold them in light of what God reveals to us in the New Testament as clear truth in Ephesians 6, and we can't make that implication for sure. Looks like it in Daniel 10. Paul doesn't say it in Ephesians 6. What Paul does affirm is that there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see, and that ultimately God is using spiritual forces to bring about his salvation plan. Amen? So, What we do know that's confirmed in the New Testament is that the devil's desire is to still kill and destroy. And so whenever that is occurring, he is at the very least, he's pleased. And very likely, he's behind it in some way, shape, or form. However, don't forget, New Testament also makes it clear Christ has come to give us abundant life through his death and resurrection. Amen? So that the one pictured... In verse 5 and 6, is the same one who came to this earth to dwell among us so that he could go to the cross and die in our place, securing for us eternal life and entrance into his eternal kingdom. And the very same one that has the eyes of fire that no one can stand before is the very same one who has promised that he is establishing his eternal kingdom. And that if you and I want to be a part of it, we can become a part of it if we will Confess, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Amen? And so let me remind you that the spiritual realities that this text reveal, they are all happening ultimately so that God can bring about his salvation plan, which is you and I spend an eternity with him in heaven if we have trusted in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one pictured, floating, hovering over the Tigris is God's Son who finally came to this earth, took upon flesh, and lived amongst us. Ultimately so that he could go to the cross and die for your sin and for my sin. So that three days later he could raise from the dead, having defeated death and the grave. So that if you and I will put our faith and trust in him, we could have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And so the ultimate question is, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Whether you're here in person, whether you're listening online, the ultimate question is, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, then today you can. Today can be the day that you, first of all, repent of your sins. You acknowledge that I am a sinner, therefore Christ died for me. And as you repent of your sins, you can believe in who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, and you can believe in what he did. He died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And then you can commit to following him. Let me just say, as a side, you think there's any doubt that the kings of Persia and the prince of Greece, you think there's any doubt that they didn't know who Jesus was? It's not about knowing him. 
It's not about believing that he exists. It's about committing your life to following him. Amen? And so we repent, we believe, and we commit to following Jesus. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day. If you're watching us online, today can be the day that you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing the hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, then that's your opportunity to respond. If you're watching us online, then, then reach out to us via messenger or text, call, whatever you can do. But reach out if God's speaking to you. Will you pray with me? If you're here this morning and God is speaking to you about your salvation, then as we stand to sing this hymn of invitation, I'm going to invite you to come. Just simply say, Will, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And I'd love to share with you more about how you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Believers, as we come away from this text, I want us to remember three things. First of all, I want you to remember that God is still sovereign over all things. Secondly, I want you to remember that prayer matters. So make prayer a regular part of your life and ministry. Three I want you to remember that God's salvation plan is happening and it will culminate in the return of Christ and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. So be ready, be excited, and be on the lookout. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for all that you're revealing to us through Daniel chapter 10. Lord, we admit that it's more than we can fully comprehend. Lord, it's more than our our minds can, can really wrap around. But Lord, we believe it to be true because your word says that it's true. And so Lord, I pray that we would live in light of these truths and that you'd be glorified in how we engage the enemy through prayer and how we trust in your sovereignty and how we look forward to your second coming. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.